0: to people on christmas eve well there is a criminal at large and they can't stop for the holidays maybe they'll catch him and then let him go in the spirit of christmas that is not the spirit of christmas the spirit of christmas is either you're good or you're punished and you burn in hell
1: drop It. it duncan
0: and Bo come correct
1: welcome back everyone it's duncan and Bo come correct uh i know many people uh thought this would never happen again we have we have taken an uh, sort of an unplanned uh, extended break uh, as schedules have been uh, a bit uh, higgledy-piggledy. I think is the technical term. <laughs> um, and uh, so we return with the second half of season two, uh, all tied up. It turns out uh, I'm your host, Bo. With me, as always, Mr. Duncan McLeish. Hello. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm trying to be soothing this time. You know, I want to ease people in.
2: Yeah, I I just want to say that I, my last holiday in Ireland was to the village of Higgledy Piggledy, and um, my my uh, my holiday snaps finally came through, and they're they pretty cool, bro. Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah,
1: I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I hear they have a nice fountain. Um, <laughs> the fountain of Higgledy Piggledy. Fountain of Piggledy Piggledy is also a very famous Tennyson poem. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Well, did you have a good holiday, Bo? I did, which, uh, before we get into a a discussion of that, I think I should say right off the bat, our theme this week is, (laughs) in fact, holidays. Um, (laughs) Originally decided before the holidays had happened, and then the the holidays came and brought uh, a whirlwind of chaos, Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: as they often do, and as I think reflected in our choices this evening, (laughs) <laughs> uh, as we talk about holiday films but uh yeah i did i did have a good holiday i had a very good christmas um and it was uh you know it, it uh, like all holidays bring with it a a bit more obligation than maybe you would like because there's mm-hmm. always it just comes with stuff you don't want to do and but with that it also comes with like little moments of surprise uh when you get to see people that you haven't seen in a long time and all the old link sign stuff, you know, like, uh, you get to see friends and, and loved ones and spend time with them, uh, sometimes whether you like it or not. Um, and I, yeah, it was, it was really enjoyable and, uh, I'm, I'm sort of glad that they're over for a year though. Um, but how about yourself? You've got a little one and that always makes it more fun. I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She was just old enough to, to kind of get the idea of, it was a special day, but the, the whole idea of Christmas is still a little bit—it's still too much for. her. Um, but yeah, that was that was—it was fun just kind of seeing the excitement on her face as she's opening presents. Um, so yeah, it was—it was good. I—I I, I was more looking forward to having the time of work, um, which I—I I just felt like, like especially twenty fifteen, I just felt like all I did was work. Um, I didn't feel like I had any kind of sizable time off even though I did and I, I did get uh, out and abroad to Spain but nothing generally like I would usually do in terms, like, I usually go for, for vacation as the Americans say um, about the November December time and then I would come back and then you work a couple of weeks and you're off for Christmas so I, I tend to, mostly because I like cold weather um, and you're guaranteed that at the end of the year. So, and that's when I tend to go away. So, we didn't do that this year. So, I kind of felt like I, my body usually goes into this uh, kind of long holiday over November, December, and I didn't have that. So, having a bit of time off before going back to work was rewarding. Gave me a chance to check out some movies, some TV shows that I'd been, uh been looking forward to checking out that I just completely blitzed and went right through. And, uh, yeah, glad to be back in a new year and doing some Duncan and Bo Come Correct.
1: Yes, yes. And uh, and speaking of a new year of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, uh, we should probably go ahead and begin uh, advertising or advertising, as they say in the UK, um, about uh, the fact we're going to be doing, um, uh, much like we did True Detective Season 2, we will be doing an analysis uh, mm-hmm. Or anarapist, as they call it in the UK, of uh, the X Files return uh, mm-hmm. begins January twenty fourth here in the US, and and we will be doing uh, episodes uh, for each episode of the uh, the Return of the X Files, uh, examining and theorizing and and commenting, um, much as we did uh, True Detective, and uh, and people seem to enjoy that. I know I did. Um, you know I barely wore pants for any of that, which was great. <laughs> I could tell, I could tell. Yeah, I, well, there's, a you know, a bit more freewheeling kind of sense to things um, because <laughs> of the way I'm dangling. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I've, uh, as I mentioned to you uh, prior to the show, I've been going back and watching a few episodes of, uh, of BX Files and um, have been enjoying that. Like, I, it had been long enough since I, I sat down and watched this, especially some of the early episodes, uh, that I had kind of forgotten, like, how young... <laughs> David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson are. Oh yeah,
2: it's crazy! It's crazy how young they
1: are. Yeah, and and seeing them, it's like, oh, oh, so they they look like yeah, they th- should be swaddled.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny as well because like the, my knowledge of David Duchovny of that era was as a transvestite on Twin Peaks as well. So like when I like when I watched like the, the I think I actually watched the premiere of the X-Files when it came on, and on UK TV, and I remember sitting down with my, my mum and my brothers to watch it, and uh, that was the thing that caught me, caught me off guard at the time. I was like, that's the same... No, that's... That that was the... Oh my God, that's the transvestite from, from, from Twin Peaks, and he's our central character. Oh, this could be interesting. And, um, yeah, he's always... I, I think Dekovny's a fun actor. Um, like, any stories you ever hear about him, he's... He's like the life of the party. He's, and I think there's a, there's a kind of weird, even though he, he did serious very well on that show, there was kind of a weird sarcastic humour, which I gravitate to pretty quickly in that. And, um, it's funny how time has made Gillian Anderson a much better actress. Like, I didn't really think she was all that great at the start of the X-Files towards the end. I definitely, I was very much on board that she was a good actress, but her roles and things since, have been incredible whether or not it's in the occasional British production. I'm assuming she must live over here now um, or have a house over here because she's in quite a lot of British stuff. Um, And most notably, uh, in the last year, we had her reprise her role on Hannibal and then she reprised her role on a small... BBC TV show called The Fall, which I can't recommend enough to anyone out there. We just went back through seasons one and two again, and they're up there with some of the best TV I saw last year. It's absolutely fucking incredible, and she's great in it. So the fact we're having those two back together um, after quite a sizable amount of time repl- reprising roles for a TV, which, a TV show which I think a lot of people don't understand how big the X-Files were. I mean, that show was fucking huge.
0: Yeah, um, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. At one point it was the show and like a lot of these television shows, the, the the people but the creating forces behind it decided that they were just gonna go off and do other things and leave it in other people's hands and that's when things fall apart.
1: Well so. uh in some of the I think it's uh the the middle seasons there when I think it was kind of at the apex of its quality. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the the writers on the show was Vince Gilligan of Breaking Bad Fame. Yeah. So, yeah. Um and there's yeah, like like I said, I've been watching a few of the older episodes, and uh, I just watched the the first appearance of Eugene Toombs, oh. um That episode, which I think is the third episode of the series, if memory yeah, yeah.
2: serves. That, that squeeze. I think it is.
1: Yes. Uh, and that is a genuinely unsettling episode. I think it's
2: It's it's terrifying. I I think I I know some people have always went back to home as being the the scariest episode. I can see why they would do that to me. Squeeze, and in particular, Tom's actual episode, uh, his sequel episode, um they, they to me are terrifying. And there's something really disgusting, like, see the bit where they finally find his lair and just realise that it's bile all across the wall? Yes. Like, some paper machine made it of paper and bile? That's fucking horrible.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think says something like, uh, is there any way I can get this uh, off my hands really quickly and not betray my cool exterior? (laughs) That's
1: almost exactly it. Well done, sir. Uh,
2: Uh, I love that. I was a big big fan of The X-Files. I am considering spending the pennies on uh, the, the DVD box set that came out, which is out for an absolute steal at the moment, considering you have nine seasons and 24 episodes in each season. So... Um, I think you can get for about a hundred pound in the UK, so I would imagine that would translate to uh, maybe just over one hundred and fifty dollars, possibly.
1: Yeah, that's a less than a
2: buck a show. Yeah, which uh, is incredible. Yeah, and no reason not the the Blu-ray prints of them. I've seen some before, and because um, they, they were using those ones on. Uh, on netflix and things um we're actually the high definition blue ray cuts of them and they're incredible they're immaculate
1: so yeah and and to that end uh if you want to i don't know spend the next uh, couple of weeks doing nothing but watching the x-files in preparation um uh, yeah all of that is on netflix uh watch instantly so um yeah so but let's uh let's not fixate too much on x-files we'll be doing a whole lot of that uh yes, in the coming sir. weeks uh, and talking about how much we uh, we, we love uh, both David Duchovny and, and Gillian Anderson. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, before we get into uh, the films we're going to talk about this evening, uh, we start, as always, with a quick discussion of what we have seen recently that is both very, very good and very, very bad. And uh, it has been long enough, Duncan... That I'm, I am always intensely curious what uh, what you find reprehensible in the world of cinema. But let's start with the good stuff first, just a, you know, a palate cleanser, if you will.
2: Um, I checked out a little movie called. Uh, you may have heard of it. And it's called The Hateful Eight, um, directed mm-hmm. by this up and coming director. Uh, I, I believe his name is Tarantino. Uh ah, <laughs> yes, foreign. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I checked out. I'm a big Tarantino fan. Anyone that's listens to any show that I've ever been on knows I'm a big Tarantino fan. And um, I had heard mixed stories about this. Uh, a lot of people sucking the movie off. A lot of people saying, oh, it's pretentious and overly long and all these sort of things. Uh, so I checked it out and I loved it. I, I really, really dug it. Um, I can see where some people are maybe criticising it along the roads of the first half of the movie is very dialogue heavy but at this stage now, a movie number 8 is it or 9 that Tarantino's put out, if you are going into a, a Tarantino movie and then not expecting massive chunks of dialogue then I, I can't help you and you should actually be blaming yourself.
1: <laughs> right, That's that's what we call foolish.
2: Yeah, that's what he's known for, it's pretty much one of his trademarks, um, and I, I quite liked it. There was a lot. There's a ton of character development in the first half of the movie. Um, the second half of the movie is where he really falls into what you would expect from from a Tarantino movie in terms of uh, business picks up quite a bit. A ton of practical gore effects gets really bloody, really messy, and a lot of fun. I think that's the thing that stood out. This, to me, is... And I love Django Unchained, but Django wasn't a fun movie, if you know what I mean. You know, it's an entertaining movie, but it wasn't a fun movie because there's a lot of kind of... There's a lot of dealing with slaves and things like that in a way which, at times, there's some sequences in that that are really quite difficult to watch. Um, and what gets you through it is that Christoph Wiltz is generally quite a likeable on-screen presence, um, and Jamie Foxx is quite interesting, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, etc, etc. The Hateful Eight, to me, is a lot more fun to watch because you have a really great ensemble cast all just bouncing off each other. And to me, the the... the probably the kind that steals the show, and I, I I don't know why I'm surprised when I say that, because I genuinely can think of very little that I haven't enjoyed him in, as Walter Goggins is fucking yeah. incredible in it. He just shines, and that to me is a partnership that I want to see moving forward. I want to see Goggins in the next Tarantino movie and beyond, because um, he just, it's very difficult for any actor and daunting for any actor to go up against Samuel L. Jackson in a Tarantino movie because Samuel L. Jackson is almost the perfect conduit in which to funnel through Tarantino dialogue, but Goggins does it and does it really well. The story's insane, it's absurd, the language is pretty deplorable, but Fuck it. Um, the action's great. It does play very much like a play, like a theatre production at times with a bit of suspense and mystery and all the rest flung in. But I, I dug it. I thought it was a really, really good movie. It's not the best movie I've seen this year. Um, the best movie I've seen this year is The Revenant, which is it's going to take a minor miracle for a movie to come out that's better than that in 2016. And I know I'm saying that right in January, but that movie is nothing short of absolutely incredible but the Tarantino movies are the one I want to talk about here uh, uh, the casting was great um, even Channing Tatum <laughs> um, oh I didn't realise Channing Tatum was in it Channing Tatum was in it and Channing Tatum is actually really fucking good in it um yeah, it was. It's very, it's very good. It's a very, very good movie. If you like Tarantino, you're going to love the movie. Um, I still don't think it's. I, I read a, a lot of things. People saying Tarantino's masterpiece. It's not his masterpiece. It's not his best movie. It's not in his top three movies. But it's the first one I've seen in a while. Definitely since Kill Bill, where he appears to be having a lot more fun. You know, it doesn't have a lot of the darker subject matter of an Inglorious Bastards or like I say, at times a jangle. This one is just straight right back, is back to long dialogue sections and um and great interactions between different characters. Bruce Dern's phenomenal in it for the very limited amount of lines that he's got in it. Yeah, just a tour de force, I think, of great casting and great filmmaking. So yeah, that's my that's my
1: good some good. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad to hear uh, Walton Goggins getting uh, the shout out there because I've, I, ever since I saw him in uh, an initially uh, Justified, mm-hmm. uh, was really the first place I took notice of him and the way that he he speaks in an almost Shakespearean Appalachian kind of tone. <laughs> yeah, um, and he's he's kind of genius on that. I think he's he's really good in the. Uh, sort of cameo pieces that he's done on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah, and I just everything I see him in, I'm the always surprised. The Shield, he was phenomenal in the Shield. I've never seen the Shield. You've never seen the Shield. I've never seen the Shield. That is something you need to rectify. So I, I know, I know. I'll, 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 it's on the list. Yeah, um, but I've, I've got a feeling that you're going to dig that a whole hell of a lot. I'm sure I will. I'm everything like I, I love The Wire and all that stuff. So. um... But yeah, Walton Goggins, I, I think, is kind of underrated. Uh, and every time I see him in something, I'm always a little bit more excited to see something if his name is, is in the cast list. So uh, yeah, I, and I can see where he just he he seems to have that vibe of, of he can deliver dialogue that should be unwieldy. In a way that feels very natural, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited about that. But uh, yeah, 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 I haven't seen *Hateful Eight yet, but it, I, you know, obviously, I can't wait. It's Tarantino, and it's a western, which I love, and it's mm-hmm. a great cast, and you know, Kurt Russell and a big bushy mustache, and you know, uh, <laughs> Bone Tomahawk gave me a little taste of that, but not enough. I need yeah. more bushy mustache, Kurt Russell.
2: It's, it's surprising he's playing. Like of the of the two movies, Kurt Russell's western acting is probably as weird. He kind of falls into those kind of John Wayne ticks and and hatefully. If you know what I mean, like if you've seen him do John Wayne before and stuff like it, kind of, and that's because it's a more entertaining sort of thing that he does, and his character's mysterious. Um, I get like when watching Bone Tomahawk, it was more like watching The Unforgiven. So you know, it's that sort of. As, you know, it's like the the, the it, you're not getting the same character if you know what I mean between those two movies, which I was concerned about. I, I wasn't too sure that. I mean, I love Kurt Russell, but two Western movies with Kurt Russell out in close proximity, um, where he basically looks the same, um, there's that that kind of thing of well, you know, I'm going to instantly judge these two roles against each other, and you don't have to. He's playing completely different sides of the Western coin, which I think is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. I you you tell me uh, Kurt Russell and Western. My response is yum yum, give me some. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're about to ask me if I've seen a bad movie, aren't you?
1: I am. Uh, I'm real curious to hear what what you have a grudge against. Um,
2: <laughs> it's it's nothing new, so uh, we we can all we can all rest easy. Um, and I knew it wasn't. This is my problem, boy. I knew it wasn't going to be a great movie. I knew it wasn't going to be a great movie. I
1: I, I know this feeling. Go on,
2: but. I checked out uh, the final paranormal activity, the ghost dimension. Okay. Yeah.
1: I'm, I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. It's n- not very good <laughs> it, because I enjoyed the marked ones. I thought that the was ones, Yeah. It's
2: fun. It's a fun movie. Yep. That's what the, the marked ones is a crazy, goofy offshoot that doesn't feel the need to follow identically the same formula as the previous movies. You know, we take it outside. There's more happening. We're in this. When you've got cholo's running around with shotguns, shooting old ladies
1: in the face, that's when you know you've leveled up. Yeah, yeah. That, you automatically get at least a star on yes. my on my list if that happens in your film. Probably too, in fairness.
2: The yeah the 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 problem with the ghost dimension is there feels like there is a sense of urgency to wrap up the franchise. And it feels like they are trying to answer questions, which unfortunately the movie ultimately fails to answer. So at the end of the movie, I'm left with even more questions about what's going on, who's Toby, why this family, you know, like, why isn't, why is the, which cult you know, all these sort of things. Um, and it really tries to kind of lean heavily on the visual effects in it, which when I think how far we have come. In that franchise, the first one, no visual effects at all, really, you know out with the the occasional shadow in the corner or you know someone getting flung at a camera that was about it, and we have went so far now that it's you know special effects and we can now actually track the demon using this effect that they have on their camera, and it just takes the mystery and the intrigue out the movie straight away, so all I'm left with is the hope that it's going to answer questions, which it doesn't. So, I don't understand... I genuinely don't understand the purpose of the movie. Um... I get the feeling that it was maybe a cop-out, and what they wanted to do was maybe try and put the movie out and see if there was interest for another instalment. I don't know how well the movie did. Um, I'd be quite happy not to see the franchise come back at this stage. It's it's kind of overstayed its welcome by quite a bit now, and that break didn't do any help for the movie, in between um, the marked ones and this one coming out. Uh, yeah, it's just not great. It's, it's, I, I think... It's never going to be as good as those original ones, but the, I've always said it, my favourite's the third one, because the third one's where you get the mythology, it's where you get the backstory, it's where you get the coven, yeah, all these sort of things. And that's the aspect that's always really interested me about the movies, and they don't really do anything with it in this movie at all. So it's it's not terrible,
1: it's just not good. So yeah, that's my, that's my bad. So what right. about yourself. Um, I'm probably still gonna watch Ghost Dimension. I'm not gonna but lie. I think
2: to. I think if you've watched all the other ones, watch it for completion purposes. But like I say, if you're going and expecting the fun of the Mark ones, you're not gonna get it. If you're going in to expect the scares from the first couple of movies, you're not gonna get it. And if you're hoping that they're gonna really finish off the story in a way which explains things and is satisfying, you're not gonna get that either. Um, yeah, it's really strange. I, I, I. I can't work out what they thought they were going to do with it, and they've had plenty of time to sit down and really tie loose ends and get everything sorted, and it makes me wonder how important that was over the visual effects, which they clearly did spend quite a bit of money on um, as this new tech they've used for the movie, and it's cool the first time you see it, and then the movie leans on it like a crutch for the whole movie, and it's, yeah, not good. Mm.
1: Alright, well, I, uh, yeah, that's a bummer. Um, alright, so my good film, uh, is Sicario. Oh, I love that movie. Which, uh, I finally got around to seeing the, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, film, which, man, the guy, he is sort of the, the Ben Wheatley, um, you know, has the same quality for me, where Mm -hmm. he just can't seem to make a bad movie. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... There is, uh, which you've seen, so I'm not. I'm not telling you anything you don't it, know, Duncan.
2: It's my. It was my movie of the year, genre, uh, genre be damned. Um, it was the. It was my movie of the
1: year, 2015. I thought yeah. it was incredible. It 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 does so many things right, uh, from the casting to. I like the fact that uh, the Emily Blunt character is sort of, you know, she's kind of a ground level grunt mm-hmm. uh, who, is, who is suddenly thrust up the ladder. Uh, to be a liaison with a task force that may be associated with the CIA and blah, blah, blah. And there's all this lingo and, and conversation going on around her that she doesn't understand. And you don't understand as an yeah. audience. And you're, you're kind of placed in, in a, the same position she is, which is trying to figure out what her role is and things and, and what her place is and, and who these people are and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's, it's done so well. And then there's a, a scene on a, uh, a stretch of road from Mexico to the United States going yeah. through uh, the, the, the toll booths, not toll booths, the uh, uh, checkpoints. Mm. Um, and it is maybe like, I think that movie should win best picture because of that scene. Yeah. It's incredible. It, it is one of the best pieces of filmmaking and, and, and making sitting still in a car. <laughs> one of the most <laughs> tense things I've seen <laughs> is nothing short of miraculous. It, it oh, is, yeah. You know, it, it ends well. Uh, Benicio Del Toro is really something else in that movie, mm-hmm. uh, as is... Um, uh, oh, Josh, gonna, Josh Brolin. Josh yeah. Brolin is fantastic in it. Yeah, it's just a great movie. I mean, it, it's well written, it's well shot, it's it's well performed. Um, I, I, You know, it's one of those movies that I don't have a complaint with, and mm-hmm. that happens so rarely. Where it, even, like I saw Star Wars, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. Um <laughs> But uh, Sicario, it may be just because I'm old and cranky, but uh, but Sicario was one of those movies I was I was totally swept up in it, and I just you know it's it's the old Roger Ebert line of no no bad movie can be short enough, and no good good movie can be long enough. Yeah, and when Sicario ended, I was disappointed because I wanted more. Yeah, um, it, it's really, really good. Uh, he's
2: like Vilnius, the real deal. he really is, and I—I I, I mean, for any naysayers out there that are complaining about the fact that we're getting a Blade Runner two, he's the guy that's directing it. So, he, I, yeah. I, I, I cannot fucking... I mean, I'm already invested in that. Then you tell me Ryan Gosling's in it, and I like Gosling, so I'm going to check that out anyway. And then you tell me that Villeneuve's the guy that's directing it, and I'm, you know... I couldn't be any happier. I think he's the exact sort of person you want building worlds. Every movie he's done, the, the atmosphere and this identity of the places you're in are handled like so well that... If we're going to be shot back to the future again, you know, kind of dystopian future and all the rest, then Villeneuve's a the guy I can't wait to see him tackle sci-fi. I've seen him tackle, you know, serious drama in Prisoner. I saw him tackle crazy out there stuff in Enemy. I've now seen him do kind of action sort of thriller in Sicario. If This guy can do sci-fi then there's nothing that Villeneuve can't do. Like, Jen, if you can <laughs> yeah. nail this one, he is the he is the complete package in terms of directing and, and Hollywood should throw him lots of money to do other projects.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean I don't know how commercially successful Sicario was, but as as movies go, uh I haven't seen The Revenant yet, but I that's the only movie out there that I can imagine supplanting
2: mm-hmm.
1: Sicario as my favorite movie of last year. Yeah. Um
2: I don't have to make that call because uh, The Revenant only came out this year. so.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, and what's, here's, here's what's sad about this, Duncan, is that I have a screener of The Revenant sitting upstairs and I haven't watched it yet.
2: Oh, dude, it's going to blow your mind. DiCaprio. Once again, DiCaprio uh, kind of solidifying this thing that he is probably one of the best actors currently working who seems to never get an Oscar. <laughs> and I would love to see he, sh- he deserves the Oscar, Definitely for his role in Rev. And I still get a sneaky suspicion he's not going to get. It. So right, he'll end well. up getting it for fucking something stupid. He'll end up he'll end up making a romantic comedy about talking to a dead dog. Um,
1: oh, <laughs> oh, that sounds good. That's Bud. that's Clair- a movie I want to see. I don't want to see some survival story. I want to see Clairvoyant Kennel or something like that. And oh. get, you'll get
2: an Oscar for that. Yes.
1: puppy. P.S. P.S. PS, puppy. Yeah. am <laughs> uh, oh, as soon as we we end the show, I'm gonna start work on that script. You're
2: gonna write the script. Yeah. What? Oh, you're bad. What, what have you seen that's bad? Because uh, this is all. This is the bit that's entertaining for me. Because it's going to be a title that I probably heard of and cringed when I heard the name. So, what did you watch? Oh,
1: uh, Duncan. Oh, <laughs> uh, me. me. Me, compadre. <laughs> I fucked up. You fucked up, bull. And I watched Knock Knock. Why would you? D- it's a bad fucking movie. Why? That, you... Be, because I hate myself. I don't. I don't have any any respect for my <laughs> own time. Um, With little time I have, walking the face of this planet, and I spent a little time of that. Uh, w- watching the, I guess latest Eli Roth film. I was it before or after Green Inferno? <laughs> it, Who it, gives a it, shit?
2: It, yeah, techni- technically came out before. I- I'll give you a laugh before you go into your your full run. Eli Roth said that this was the most emotional performance
1: Keanu Reeves has ever had in a movie. I I don't
2: <sighs>
1: I don't think, I don't think that's thought- incorrect. <laughs> Do I, you think? <laughs> I I don't think that's incorrect. I, but it doesn't mean it's a good performance. I don't, think it's, I don't think he. Emotes at all in that. <laughs> I don't think he movie. all. When he
2: finally does have like lost interest, it's
1: I, like I, Keanu Reeves, as we have discussed on the on this very show, Duncan. Yeah. is a performer who is perfect for roles in which he does not have to act that much. Yes. and can just be a look because, like John Wick, Keanu Reeves is incredible in that movie. Yes, because <laughs> he is what he needs to be. Um, putting him in the role of a father, uh husband and father whose family has gone out of town and, and two uh, little nymphs show up at his door mm-hmm. and, and seduce him into a wild night and then punish him for it. Uh, that's the plot of knock knock. Um, I think the movie is emotionally retarded. <laughs> I, I think it's depiction of women is awful. Um I, and I if memory serves I didn't look it up because I was so angry at myself for haven't watched Knock Knock. Um but I think it's written by one of the guys who was in on uh Aftershock as well. And I think that the treatment of women in that movie is terrible. I think Knock Knock is even worse and I think it's it's even worse because I think they were th- they were they believe that they were making something that had slightly feminist overtones. Yeah, and it doesn't. Like, it, no. it, it has feminist overtones in the way that a 14-year-old boy sees feminism, you know, which is like, well, if you, if you cheat on somebody, that's fucked up, right, yo? Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the message of the movie. But in so doing, you portray these two women as borderline psychotics, not borderline, they're psychotic, and then you have to whip in a little child molestation in there as well to explain their behavior. And it, it like I said, it's just... It's just so dumb and 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 prepubescent in its treatment of women. Like, the only woman who's good in the movie is the wife who does nothing. Um, and then you have this neighbor that shows up and is, you know, a little uh, condescending to Keanu Reeves when it looks like he's having this affair. And it's just, like, I'm... <laughs> perhaps I'm a bit overly sensitive to that stuff, but I just feel like women get short shrift in films most of the time, particularly horror movies, which is why it's always on my mind. You know, when I'm writing, you try to write a woman who is, who is not, you know, a, a, a sex object completely, uh, or, or solely a sex object and also, you know, a little bit complicated and the movie d- fails at that. And moreover, moreover, Duncan, well, I'm not done. Um, <laughs> Not only does it treat women badly, um, you know, it, it doesn't do anything to make the thriller aspect of the film, mm-hmm. which is that he's being, you know, terrorized by, the, by these two young women. Um, it doesn't do anything to make that interesting or, or, or raw or, you know, disturbing. It's just kind of the same shit you would expect. Like, if, if I told you what the plot of that movie was, you could kind of see that movie in your head. Like, the movie yeah. doesn't take any turns to, uh, you know, cause, like, the, the whole philosophy of the film seems to be like, you know, don't, don't have an affair. Because if you do, crazy women will show up and torture you. Yeah. And I mean, again, it just feels so, so broy. I guess, is, uh, uh I know that's probably not a real word, but that's kind of how it feels. It feels like, like, like Hannah Reeves and his writer and producers were all just like fist bumping each other through the course of this movie. Yeah. Like, man, we're, we're really saying something about women, right? Yo. Um, it's just, Oh, it was so infuriating. It was one of the few movies recently that I almost turned off and, and didn't because I'm a completionist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And by the end of it, it like, I regretted not having turned it off because the end of the movie does nothing to redeem itself. You no. know,
2: no, it's like, it was, it was just, just a waste. I think that's, I think that was my overall feeling after, and I went like to see it in the cinema as well, um, was when it finished. I'd, I'd, I very seldom am of the opinion, well, I have just wasted, you know, an hour and a half of my life. You know, it's an hour and a half, I will never get back. Because I'll always try and focus on some positive aspect, where, you know, this one kill or this one scene was really good, or I didn't feel like that at all. And then, like I said, I mean, the longer time is going on, I think we've spoken about this on the show before. The longer time is going on now, the more I think Hostel was a a, a fluke, a complete fluke, um, because that movie seems to be the only one in his back catalogue which actually feels like it has something to say about something. And every other movie is just an exercise that's fist bumping. That's basically what they are. All of them. Um, I don't know if you checked out Green Inferno yet. Cause that's yet. the one that Yeah. Oh, I
1: can't wait. Maybe you should
2: do that before the next
1: one. <laughs> I, it's in the, it's in my Netflix queue. So when it comes um, in, I haven't, I just haven't gone out of my way to see it because I'm of the same mind that every time I see a new Eli Roth movie, it just makes me more depressed that. There'll never be another hostel coming out yeah. of that guy. I just, I, I think you're right. I think it was accidentally a really good horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing, as I was watching Knock Knock, that uh, uh, I think summarizes my feelings about this movie and Eli Roth is that uh, at a certain point, the camera's kind of rolling through the house, and Detroit Rock City by Kiss is playing. Uh-huh. And I realized that Eli Roth is the Kiss of horror film directors. <laughs> And that he is not very good, but kind of brash and loud, and will do apparently anything for a buck. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, this makes sense now because it's not about quality product; it's about product." Yeah, you know. Uh, so, anyway, I, I, yeah, knock knock was. Uh, Quick shout out though to Project Almanac that almost got the worst movie I saw recently, <laughs> shout out. Uh just an FYI, if you're interested in time travel movies, don't watch Project Almanac. That's real dumb. I remember uh, that I remember that coming out and I remember at the time saying maybe if there's nothing to do on that day, I might check it out. But it's yeah, like I really love time travel films. Mm-hmm. Uh because I, I think that there's something super interesting about the notion of you know, is are things faded? Can you change that? Um, like every time travel movie I've seen recently, and I'm, I'm throwing Terminator Genesis, or as I like to think of it, uh, Terminator DeGeneres into it, because that <laughs> movie Ellen DeGeneres is yeah, no, she's not. But that movie would be ten thousand times better if she were the Terminator. <laughs> but but like both Terminator uh, DeGeneres and Project Almanac. Um, are movies that deal with time travel in a way that is the dumbest possible way you could deal with time travel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Project Almanac, uh, I won't go off on this for very long, but just to warn our listeners, it is produced by MTV. Oh, no. And uh, Platinum Dunes. It's a co-production.
2: Oh, the dream team. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So now imagine if those two, uh, you know, wunderkinds of cinema Produced a movie about time travel with teenagers as the focus. Like, at one point, they time travel back so they can go to Lollapalooza. That's a thing that happens in that movie.
0: Oh, God. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's maybe the best scene. And it's awful. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll just go back and watch Looper, thank you very much, and see what, uh, someone who actually thinks about time travel and its repercussions can, mm. can do. Yeah, like, t- Project Almanac is a movie that has time travel at its core, but it's basically, uh, a, a remake of the butterfly effect, except ah. not as hilarious, um, unintentionally as it may be. But Project Almanac's just bad. It's a bad, bad movie. But, uh, I don't want to take anything away from Knock Knock here. Knock Knock is one of the worst movies I've seen last year. Uh, I haven't put to my put together my list of worst films of twenty fifteen yet, but knock knock is knocking on the door, Duncan. Oh, uh, like <laughs> of the number one spot because I think I think it is bereft of artistic and uh, entertainment merit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, anyway, but uh, speaking of being uh, artistic and entertaining, it's time for us to turn to our first film, Duncan. Uh huh. Your movie is up first this oh, time. Pretty. This time round. <laughs> And I, I'm gonna say upfront, like your movie is definitely the artsy and might I add fartsy film. Uh, <laughs> Why
2: does that uh, not surprise anyone?
1: <laughs> right, but it, but it, but I think it further highlights what makes this show fun because your pick is very kind of avant garde and 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 left of center. And I came in with the most Hollywood ass film about the holidays. But I think I think has great emotional merit, as does mm-hmm. as does Tangerine. Uh but not to steal your thunder. Let's let's talk about Tangerine. Right,
2: uh, so Tangerine 2015, directed and written by Sean Baker. The movie uh <laughs> Stars, a lot of people that aren't actually actors, Um, to the best of my knowledge, a lot of these people are actually just ordinary people from LA, Uh, (laughs) they've got some interesting names as well, Uh, Katana Kihi Rodriguez, uh, Maya Taylor, some other folks, Uh, Synopsis is listed on IMDb, Bo, (laughs) a working girl tears through Tinseltown on Christmas Eve, searching for the pimp who broke her heart.
1: I, I want, want you it. guys to come to my show it's tonight. Love. I'm my so girl. excited about Daniel. that. He Wait, wants the night before me. Alexandra. Danny got it. Devin you know Pete that. No. How did you, you motherfucker, see Chester?
2: No, not no. So. Here we go again. No. So.
1: Bro, he found himself trying to cheat on me. While well, I'm up in there, girl. Me, okay. bitch. I okay.
0: wish I never told her.
1: I heard about that fish. Who in the fuck is she?
2: Desiree. Show Desiree
1: girl do you really want to go back to prison you just got out mama i told her that too he act like prison is a bad place to go it's mama, mama.
2: Like- you are so much better than she is, better mama, you're-
1: not- better know- than she is okay that's
2: fine you know like- he's not your novio he's with her, he's he's in her. In he left house. you for her the minute you went to jail Oh, oh. No, no,
1: bro I'm so mad you just stop but all, all i'm gonna say is
2: get that motherfucker so yeah this is this is a loose holiday movie um, as loose as it gets, you wouldn't even know this was Christmas time if it wasn't for the fact that I think one house has a Christmas tree in it. Um, but I had heard a lot of things about this movie uh, before watching it. The, the thing that I had heard was the fact that it, it employs a particular gimmick. And that gimmick is this entire movie has been shot in an iPhone 5. Um, which instantly piques my interest, but at the same time, it makes me think, do I actually want to watch it? I've seen videos that I record on my, my superior iPhone 6, and I look at it and go, that's pretty awful. So, you know, and then. When I found out a bit more about it, I thought, this sounds really bad. And then I watched it, and it actually floored me. Um, I thought it was pretty incredible. But people don't want to know what I think about this movie. They want to know what you thought about the movie, Bo. Tangerine from 2015, you knew about this movie before you watched it, but... What did you think when you actually took it in?
1: Yeah, this was one of... I actually didn't get a screener for this movie. I just got a link to the screener um, <laughs> on on Vimeo, of all places. But, um, yeah, so I saw it as part of the awards uh, group of films that I saw. You know, it, it's definitely a movie that, whether it meant to or not, has become a bit of a critical darling Mm-hmm. Um, and, and has been mentioned in uh, a lot of top 10 lists this year. Uh, and I don't think that's wrong. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I would put it on a top 10. I don't know. I haven't put that list together yet. But it, you know, it would certainly be a, a movie worth having that discussion about, uh, as far as one of the best of the year. It's, uh, it is a very, um, Sort of a slice of life kind of film about uh, two transsexual ladies in Los Angeles, working girls, um, and the movie is really not necessarily about the narrative structure of the movie. Uh, it is just because the the whole the, you know the plot of the movie is pretty much what IMDb said. It's you know there's uh uh, uh oh what's her name Cindy. Mm-hmm. Um is one of our transsexual ladies. Um and Cindy has just been released from prison uh where uh she spent a little time away from her pimp boyfriend, she gets out and her uh, her friend Alexandra, uh who is also a transsexual, tells her, Hey, um, you know, he was kind of cheating on you, and that a Cindy <laughs> off. And she, uh, and it, which introduces my favorite expression in the movie and, and maybe in real life, which is for a transsexual, uh, lady to call, uh, a, you know, born lady, genetic, uh, lady, um, a fish. <laughs> I think that's real funny. And so, yeah, so Cindy kind of goes tearing ass, uh, across town to, to confront, uh, her boyfriend and the, uh, the lady, uh, that she has uh, feels has wronged her by by stealing her man, and the movie is very much about these two characters, their relationship with one another, their relationship with kind of the um, you know the the whole of Los Angeles. They are definitely fringe characters, um, by which I mean they they exist on the outskirts of LA. Like you can spend time in Los Angeles and never see you know, a transsexual lady, probably. Mm-hmm. But this is very much about the, sort of the community that is formed by these folks. They all know one another. Um, there is an element of mutual support, but there is also, you know, the, the fact that they're prostitutes as well uh, kind of complicates matters. And, and there's also uh, another character uh, named Rasmik, yeah, <laughs> who is a cab driver who... Um you see early on just kind of carding some some weird characters around including notably Clu Guglger
0: mm-hmm. um
1: from uh Return of the Living Dead um and uh and Feast I guess uh, <laughs> but yeah so there's kind of these you know almost like uh link letters um uh not waking life uh the one set in Austin uh, that was very similar. Uh, that was oh, just. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And, but you know uh, what I'm talking about? I, I yeah, can't yeah. think of the name of the movie now, but, but it was basically a, a lot of vignettes. And, and this kind of has that feeling of, of seeing these people ride in his cab. And, you know, it's Christmas Eve and there, there are all these unusual Los Angeles kind of characters. But the, the thing that makes Rasmick kind of central to the story, uh, such as it is, is that he is, uh, attracted to transsexual, uh, prostitutes. Mm -hmm. and um so he uh his gig seems to be picking up a a transsexual prostitute and blowing them yes is kind of his thing and there's a a real married
2: as well with a child
1: right yeah so uh you know he's got a a mother-in-law and and wife and and baby waiting for him at home on christmas eve and he's kind of—he's heard that Cindy's at a at a prison and is kind of looking for her. There's a really funny scene, I think, where he picks up her prostitute uh, that he yeah. thinks is transsexual because she's in the the neighborhood that the yeah. transsexual prostitutes work. But it turns out she ain't transsexual; she's just good old fashioned uh, lady. And uh, when when he sees what she's got going on south of the border, he gets real pissed off. <laughs> And he's like, what is that? And she's like, it's a vagina. What do you think it is? And he's like, get out of here. Don't work that corner anymore. Um, I I thought that was real funny. And that's kind of the thing uh, about Tangerine is that it deals with sort of a subculture that is unfamiliar, um, that is, you know, that is home to to people who uh, are are sort of um, not discarded by society, but certainly not. Welcomed with open arms, although you know I think that's changed. And I think the reason that a movie um, like this gets the attention that it does is because those issues are very uh, forefront in the minds of a lot of people these days, with you know LGBT rights and mm-hmm. you know, like here in the U.S., we just within the past you know few months, uh, gay marriage became the law of the land, and um, the idea of dealing with uh, with alternate sexuality is is still you know, an evolution here in the, in the States. Uh, but I think this movie does a nice job portraying them as, you know, like people. It's not just like, it's, they're not, they're not dudes in dresses played for a laugh. They're, you know, they're people who, um, clearly identify as, as female. And, uh, but the other thing about this movie, aside from it being, you know, somewhat of a political statement and, and that kind of thing. Um, is that it's funny. It's a funny movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that. Uh, Katana Kiki Rodriguez. Uh, who plays C- uh, Cindy in the movie. Uh, I think she's very funny. Um, yeah. There, uh, There's a great scene with her. Like Alexandra. Uh, as played by Maya Taylor. Who is also very funny in the movie. There, there's a great scene where. Um, uh, Cindy it, finds the prostitute that is uh you know kind of taking her place in her, in the pimp's life uh that she thinks is the big threat. And their conversations are really hysterical. Yeah. Um the like the the prostitute is is incredibly funny. Uh I believe that's Dina. Yes Dinah, yeah, is Dinah. Character- yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know she's kind of sarcastic, but like you're also dealing with people who are clearly you know, at the, at the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder, like nobody has any money, nobody, like there, there are probably a lot of drugs going into these folks. Um, it, you know, so it, it's kind of great that the movie can, can make, can make a comedy around people who are clearly damaged and wounded and all that. And, it and and not make light of the characters, you know? Like it doesn't celebrate them necessarily. It just kind of shows you what their life is. Mm-hmm. And I think it does a remarkable job of that. I think it's I I it's it's not a long movie. It's a, a pretty quick watch. Um and it's like I said, it's very funny. I think the there there's kind of a culmination uh at the end of the film in which you have you know Cindy and Alexandra and the pimp and Dinah and Resnick and his family all showing up at this uh, donut shop where they tend to hang out. And it's just this huge chaotic argument between all these different players that you've been following uh, throughout the movie. And um, at the end of the day, uh, spoilers, uh, Not, I mean, it's a tough movie to spoil, but we're going to talk about the last scene. Um, there, there's a moment where, you know, once uh, the dust is kind of kind of settling and Cindy and Alexandra... Uh, like Cindy's real pissed at Alexandra, and and is kind of running off on her own, and is about to turn a trick so she can make a little money. And she goes up to a car, and uh, the the guys inside the car um, throw urine on her. Mm-hmm. And Alexandra catches up with her, and the last scene of the movie is Alexandra giving Cindy like her wig as their as her clothes are being washed, and there's this kind of Like, I think what the point of the movie is, is that, yes, there this is a subculture that kind of deals in a lot of sadness and a lot of exclusion. But even in this community, they find one another. Yeah. And that that they support one another. And and it ends on this really sweet tone of, uh, like, friendship that is kind of unexpected in a movie that... You know, is vulgar and occasionally um, a little bit uh, profane, at least in terms of you know how it deals with with some sexuality and stuff. But you have these nice little moments peppered throughout, like Alexandra sings at a club, and you find out, and, and she's got a very nice voice, and it's something she clearly loves. And the uh, the prostitute Dinah, who is also there. Um, asks uh, how much she gets paid for that, and then you get the the revelation, like, oh no, she pays. Mm-hmm. You know, like she has to pay to perform in this this club to to sing these kind of old standards and stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a really really good funny movie, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and I I really enjoyed it and um, like I said, it, you know, it's made a, a lot of 10, a top 10 lists this year. Uh, I haven't put my own together to decide if it's in my top 10 or not this year, but it's certainly a movie that, you know, it's worth watching. It's one of those things that gives you a glimpse of, of people's lives that you would never consider, um, until you watch something like this and you, and you start to think about what like I, I, this, this isn't a movie that feels like a movie it, it feels like you're getting a window into a reality that you don't experience
2: mm-hmm. so. yeah I, t- I t- totally agree <clears throat> I think um, if you've actually hit on quite a lot, <laughs> a lot of the things uh, that I took away from the movie I think it is at times it's chaotic it's confrontational it's very brash and in your face and it juxtaposes real kind of touching moments of kind of tenderness between characters and friendship and you run like a full gambit of, of emotions and there's comedy in there, and the comedy is very funny. Like, at times, there are particular setups which I just think are absolutely incredible, mostly involving, um Razmik, the, 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 the taxi driver, um who uh, is the setup for many, many jokes in this movie. And um, I think he's, he's really, he's really quite an interesting character as well. I, I think that the movie really, like I said at the start there, there's a couple of things that should make this movie not work. And one of them is the fact that it's shot on a mobile phone. You would never know. Uh, they've had to put like a, a weird kind of sepia tone over it, like a wash over most of the movie, but it's not displeasing to look at. It kind of fits in with that kind of, that Ellie yeah. kind of smoggy. So, you know how I would imagine Ellie to be having never been there. Um, but both a uh, Cindy and Alexandra are neither one of these two are actors at all. Um, doing a bit of research into uh, Sean Baker came across them when he was uh, when he was out trying to basically get a bit of info on that community out there, and um, he came across them and cast them. And I mean, those are some real interesting finds and act like
1: the the the. the are obviously, <clears throat> they're amateur for sure. Like it yes. doesn't—you're not dealing with that a, that a classic. It, I do too. I do too yeah. I, because it gives it that documentary kind of style yeah. that exactly. this movie benefits from.
2: Yeah, it's like watch. It's like it's the second time the shield will be mentioned on you. See when you watch the shield, the shield kind of works in that it's shot in such a way that every now and again you forget you're watching actors. It feels like you're watching cops. It feels like you're watching something real. And this movie kind of does the same. In bits, I... I kind of forget what I'm watching. Um, It's incredibly fast-paced as well. It's all shot over one... Like, basically one day. And when you see how the movie starts with these two characters kind of reconnecting after one of them has been away in prison for for a while to how they connect at the end. And I I couldn't help but feel like, to me, this is like... There's a lot of clerks in here, if you know what I mean. There's there's a kind of clerksy vibe, but it's been, like, obviously updated and put in a different scenario. But it it kind of reminded me a lot of that, kind of fast-paced dialogue, um, kind of set in... I mean, like a world which I know nothing about, but you know, which is like? Set you know, based in reality, certainly. Um, I, I genuinely think. I mean, it did make my top ten non-genre movies um, because I've I I've, I find myself hard pressed to think of a movie I've seen in recent times that is anywhere remotely like this. It is just it just takes you as an audience member and pulls you along into this one chaotic day. And I, I think it's great. I think all, all the what's it, all the characters feel like real people because most of them are real people. Yeah. Um, I think that aids the movie greatly. It does give it that kind of full documentary style. Um, and like I say, funny. Like, really, like, laugh-out-loud funny and touching at the same time. At the end of this movie, I, I, I had a, the movie finished and I had a smile on my face. And it, like... It just, it just does a whole lot, right? It is a movie, though, that i I have found it difficult to to recommend because you need to be kind of open minded, and you need to be like an actual. And I don't want to I sound so pretentious when I say, it, but you actually need to be like a true lover of cinema. It, I think, to totally get. What the movie's driving at, because it is RA and it is avant-garde and bits, and it does deal with a subject matter that a lot of people are, won't have a fucking interest in at all. Um, but if you sit back and just let the movie play for you, and just forget you're watching a movie, and just take in everything, I think it's incredible. I think it is an actual, I think it's a triumph to I'm always saying that we live in a world now where anyone can make a movie. If you've got a phone, you can record a movie. If you've got a bit of editing software on your computer, which a lot of these computers come with as standard, you can make a movie. That doesn't mean you should make a movie. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, I think what this this shows is that uh, Sean Baker certainly comes out with like this idea of this kind of idea and theme of how he's going to do it. That doesn't necessarily mean it will work, and the fact that this movie works not only works, works incredibly well. Um, it's inspirational. Like, I, it finished, and I, like everything about it, the the music choice at the end, that final shot is very uplifting. Um, it's one of those things. Like every now and again, I'll see a movie that has a final sequence, and that final shot, it just it it really makes me want to applaud. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, It's like the first time I ever saw... Like, the first time I ever saw Heat, and spoiler alert, the end of Heat has these two people, like, has, like, arguably two of the greatest actors ever, has Pacino and De Niro, and one of them is dying in the other one's arms as the camera pulls out to this classic Michael Mann shot of, you know, of the LA skyline on an airstrip, on an airfield, moves up to the sky with this beautiful music playing in the background and this respect between these two characters who are just doing their job and it's one of those moments that hits you, it's like pure cinema just hits you in the face and you're just like this is the power of cinema and Tangerine did the same at the end, totally not with two powerful actors finishing yeah. in the shoot scene. but two actors sitting in a laundromat and one exchanging her wig with another one can have the same impact on me while watching it speaks volumes to the type of movie this is I think it's fucking incredible so yeah I can't say enough good things and I'm over the moon that you dug this because this this is a gamble for me because when I, when I picked it I was like Bo is either going to like this movie or he's going to like verbally slap me through Skype um, and the fact that you dug it makes me happy.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And although I, I probably wouldn't have put money on the uh, the fact that this would not have been compared to Heat during this discussion.
2: History isn't it? Don't yeah, yeah, a tangent.
1: right. Like the you know the the shootout sequence through the streets of L.A. You know is to Heat. As the, uh, you know, blowjob taxi driver scene is to Tangerine, I think is the, the college SAT analogy you can make there. <laughs> uh, you know,
2: there was a particular sequence, like, just, there's a, there's a, a music video. Uh, for a song called Monster in My Parasol by a band called Queens of the Stone Age. It was on their second album. And the music video is basically about a transvestite who is walking through the streets. I think it's LA as well, with uh, just on, but it's like collecting money. So it's like a debt collector transvestite who's just going place to place and Beating the shit out of people to get money, and it's just this whirlwind. It's like a like a three minute song, and it's just this whirlwind of just chaos. And like Cindy's like reign of terror, she just like from the moment she hears this news, she is just walking like pretty much this whole movie. And everywhere she goes, it's but when she leaves, it's like a fucking bombs went off, <laughs> like like. <laughs> <laughs> where she leaves is just left in anarchy, and I just love that about this movie. It's like you know, you but you don't know how it's going to go when she ends up in a place. Like when she finally ends up at that hotel room uh, where there's like a mini prostitute ring going to get that 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 Dina character. When she kicks off, it's just insane and it's room to room chaos. Um, and I fucking love it. I think it's great.
1: Yeah, that's a really good scene. And, uh, and, it, you know, when, when you get to the end of the film and you're kind of seeing where all these people end up on Christmas Eve, and actually, I, I, I think the character of the prostitute has the saddest fate of yeah. going, going back to, to work ostensibly, but she's been replaced by another, uh, prostitute in the, mm-hmm. in the meantime to keep generating money. Yeah. And so you just kind of leave with her. Waiting there for one of the other prostitutes to leave so she can go back to work uh, on this Christmas Eve, and it, it's you know, there's a real pathos to Tangerine, um, and and I think maybe like that moment is in such stark contrast with the scene in the laundromat where it's like, oh no no, these two people do have one another at the very yeah. least. There is there is someone there for them. Um, yeah, you're, I mean, it is, it is a very emotional movie in a, an unexpected kind of way. And yeah, yes. it's, it's really strong. No argument here. So, um, but is it as strong as <laughs> a, uh, geez, you know, a, a, a Hollywood ass movie about Thanksgiving? Um, we'll find out in just a moment when we return to Duncan and Bo Come Correct, the holiday edition. <laughs>
2: Hello? Hello, who is this? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going
1: to hang up. Wait,
2: don't hang up. What's that noise?
1: Popcorn.
0: You're making popcorn?
1: Uh Uh-huh.
2: I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted
1: Hill. Is that
2: the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh Yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes they look at two different horror movies. Each episode they look at a world of the strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors, discographies, and talk about them. Hmm. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search
1: for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? Um... So welcome back to, uh, Duncan and Bo. Have come correct. It is uh, the second entry. My uh, my contestant in our belated holiday battle. Uh, this time around, it is uh, Home for the Holidays, uh, which is from 1995, way back, 21 years ago. Duncan, can you believe that? <sighs> so A while ago. Yeah. Uh, directed by Jodie Foster. Um, it is. Uh, I think the reason I I I recommended this movie, aside from the fact that I I do kind of love this movie, uh, not kind of, I do love this movie, um, (laughs) is that it is Thanksgiving is a uniquely American holiday, Mm -hmm. and I have never seen a film capture what Thanksgiving is like. Um, Although certainly heightened for comedic and emotional effect at times, but it is there is something so genuinely true about uh, the Thanksgiving, this family experiences, that I I couldn't... When I think of Thanksgiving, I think of this movie. Um, So the synopsis is, after losing her job, making out with her soon-to-be former boss, and finding out that her daughter plans to spend Thanksgiving with her boyfriend, Claudia Larson faces spending the holiday with her family. Uh, It stars uh, Holly Hunter as Claudia, a.k.a. Clyde, uh, like I said, it's kind of a Hollywood ass movie. I mean, it it stars Robert Downey Jr., Charles Durning, um, Dylan McDermott, um, and Bancroft, who I think is phenomenal in this movie. Uh, it is uh, Steve Gutenberg makes an appearance, uh, kind of <laughs> on on the heels of his popularity, and uh, Claire Danes in a very early role, and blah blah blah. So, um, by way of introduction uh, to our audience. Uh, we're going to play a clip. Uh, this is the scene in which uh, Claudia returned home uh, and is spending uh, the Thanksgiving holiday in her childhood bedroom. And in this scene, her mother uh, reads to her, or actually quotes from memory, a letter to dear Abby uh, that sort of expresses uh, her her feelings about growing old and the state of the world. And uh, here we are.
0: I was in the car wash the other day. Listen to this. Dear Abby. Oh, Mom, not Abby. I think my mother is losing her grip on reality. All her life she's been this happy-go-lucky, outgoing personality who cried a lot in private, but to strangers was a barrel of laughs. Now, lately, she's gotten real bad. She wakes up every morning frightened, and she gets real worked up about war and crime and- taxes it was terrorist and she thinks the president secretly owns mcdonald's and the home shopping channel it's not funny sign distraught what did abby say Well, that's not the point, really. What the hell does dear Abby know about life anyway?
1: All right, so you have heard uh, the marvelous Anne Bancroft uh, in in what I think is a fine bit of acting as well. Uh, But my feelings, as always, matter little when it comes to this show.
2: Uh, (laughs) That's not true on your pecs. They matter very little. Yes, yes. Overall, you have 50% of the Sable. 50%. That's a lot. It's more
1: than usual, for sure. (laughs) uh, But Duncan, what did you think about Home for the Holidays?
2: Right. um, So uh, when we were throwing around suggestions for movies, this was the one that you focused on as... A, an early contender for. You, have you seen this movie? If not, you should watch it. Um, I took a very quick look online and I gave you a couple of stern warnings. Bro. <laughs> you did. You did. You were like, I don't. I don't really like Robert Downey Jr. that much. Yep. I'm not a huge Holly Hunter fan either. Um, that's. But that's not to say that I haven't seen roles with them in it. That you know, I, I haven't enjoyed. That would be a lie. But for the most part. When I saw them as the two kind of leading names in this, I was concerned, and I gave you the option to choose another movie um and you were like, "No, no, I'm gonna stick with this one and I enjoyed it. There is quite a lot of it that I thought was very, very funny. um there are some things that don't necessarily resonate with me being from another country. However, regardless what part of the world you're from, occasionally you have to spend prolonged time with your family over a dinner table, and it's never really... I'm always always envious of people that tell me how great their Christmas was, and they had all the family around, and everyone played games and all the rest, and I always feel like you're giving me the Hollywood version of what actually happened. Tell the truth, someone punched someone. Another one shat in the punch. Um, (laughs) Like, like, tell me something bad happened, right? Um, And uh, this one, I think, does kind of cover this. I think what's quite interesting about it is it does feel like a relatable family to some extent. Um, Obviously, like you say, heightened for for comedic value. Um, So I will focus on what I really liked first. Um, Surprise, surprise, I really liked Holly Hunter in this movie. I thought this might actually be my favourite role I've ever ever seen her in, actually. I think she is constantly... In this movie, there's very few times that she doesn't look like she's miserable, eh, <laughs> which <laughs> I think she handles really well. I think she just, she's not happy, and life isn't the way it should have been, and she's an artist first and foremost, and that's what she should be doing, but the world has gotten in the way, and our our daughter's growing up, and she's at the stage now that she can't really be coerced to do things that she doesn't want to do anymore. And, you know, she's she's forced to go back and spend time with her family at first with the knowledge that the one member of her family that she can relate to the most, which is um, Tommy, uh, played by Robert Downey Jr., who is gay in this movie. Um, that's that's who she really wants to be spending time with, and he's not going to be there, and she leaves this voicemail for him, or back then it would be an answering machine message, um, and he eventually does show up, in tow with his friend Leo played by Dylan McDermott who's actually really good in this movie I keep forgetting he's actually a good actor and we don't get him in enough Um, I feel I I thought after he did American Horror Stories first season we were going to get a ton of him back on things and that never really happened and I feel that's a bit of a shame but he's he's really good at it as well Uh, but he Robert Downey Jr. shows back up and at first we're led to believe it's because he's not heard the voicemail He just happens to be in the area, and then later on we found out that. He he heard his sisters cry for help, and as a result, showed up. You've got uh, Anna Bancroft, who's really good in this movie, playing the mother, Um, and she has... She is the... She's every part of the mother. I think everyone can relate to some of the aspects in this character to think about their own mothers, where it's, she's a busybody, she's got her nose stuck too much into your life, she's overly concerned with things, she's overly concerned about how you're being a parent, all these sort of things, but at the same time, when you need her, she's there for you. Uh, Charles uh, During is brilliant in this movie as well. He plays the father, and he's recently retired, and he's <laughs> a bit of a sneak, and really, really good. To me, the when the movie really starts to take a really funny turn in terms of, just like, this is pure comedy gold, is when Aunt Gladie comes. um, Oh, yes. And she's just the most eccentric. uh, Once again, everyone has an aunt who never married, who lives alone, who's a little bit crazy. and um, She is that character, but throughout the the proceedings we find out that Aunt Gladie was a bit Smitten uh, for her, sis- her sister's uh, husband, and when the wine starts flowing, her lips get a bit loose, and she starts talking about it a bit more openly, which I think is brilliant as well. Um, I don't like Steve Gutenberg I tolerate him as Mahoney. Sure, that, sure. That's a bit. Everyone else in the police academy movies are infinitely more interesting. I've never seen anything else with him in it that I particularly liked. And guess what? I don't like him in this movie either. He's playing the part perfectly. He's playing the annoying pedantic character. And yes, he annoyed me and he was very pedantic. Um, he's married to a uh, Hunter's sister, who is the picture-perfect busybody family member who has an opinion on everyone who still lives close to the parents and just resents everyone else because she had to stay close to the parents and all the rest and uh, there are issues with that character which at times touch quite close to home for me but at other times I find her an infuriating character on screen um and the way, th- when we're coming out in negative aspects, there's a way that something is resolved, or not resolved in this movie, which I felt was, and this is coming from me, was unnecessarily mean and realistic um, <laughs> <all> <laughs> <right. All laughs> uh, compared, compared to how the rest of the movie handles certain things which would have benefited from being unnecessarily mean and realistic. So... For the most part, I thought the script was very funny. It does kind of give you this snapshot of a family's dinner together where, you know, they're just doing it because they have to do it. And I love there's a particular line where um, there's a a fight outside and uh, Charles Düring's character goes on this big rant about how basically they just have to get through this stupid holiday and then they'll all meet back up together for christmas which will be just (laughs) as crappy and then when it's over it's over for another year and that sums up what a lot of these sort of holidays are like christmas is supposed to be a time for like we don't have thanksgiving in my company so i can't uh, country so we can't i can't relate to that but christmas over here is supposed to be about a time where you spend time with loved ones and all the rest that's on the assumption that you love all your loved ones Loved ones is a a a term which I think is really funny because loved ones is supposed to mean your family and friends. Uh, Most people would rather spend times, you know, like spend prolonged times with their friends than they would necessarily with their family because you have a bit of say in who your friends are. You don't have any say in who your family is, Um, and you tend to find that a lot of old arguments get dragged up, which they do in this movie. And yeah, I think it captures that brilliantly. Um, so those are the plus points here is my negative points I don't like Robert Downey Jr. in this movie which is a big pain for me, he is he is like Robert Downey Jr. level 10 in this movie, is Downey Jr. to the max Um, if you like me and are Tolerable in certain movies. Like I love him in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a movie that plays off the fact that it's Robert Downey Jr. just being Robert Downey Jr. and there's a fast paced dialogue, and you know Sean Black did it, and it's or Shane Black sorry, and it's all is done in very much his style, and you can see that when it goes on to do Iron Man three with Robert, he carries a lot of that over with the fast paced dialogue and all the rest. I totally, totally appreciate that. I think it's kind of out of place in this movie. I think it becomes overbearing at times, and I can't. I, I, he's got a smugness about his face which irritates me. Um, but he is—he is very, very carefully placed beside Dylan McDermott, who doesn't have the same enthusiasm on screen. So it kind of balances itself out. That that pairing of those two on screen together works for me, because one's very bullshit and in-your-face and brash, and the other one is a lot more calm as a character. (laughs) It's a calming force. I don't really like him, Um, which is a shame, because there's quite a bit of him in this movie. Um, The bit I was talking about, the unresolved thing, which I just felt was Unne- I can't believe I'm saying these words because I'm the mean one on this show. Yeah, Unnecessarily I, I, I'm mean. I, I'm kind of stunned by this. I know what you're talking about, and it blows my mind. But go ahead. Right. So basically, the, the they're at the ta- right when they're at the table, like the the sister who is the sister who is not in the, the clickiness of the other two and she's more removed and she's the responsible homemaker and she's got the husband and the kids and all the rest and she ends up with a turkey flung at her through her own stupidity and then covered in turkey grease and she's had enough and she wants to go and her husband gets into a struggle and they go home and all the rest and... At that point Holly Hunter is asked to basically take her food back and her Tupperware and whatever else and she goes into her sister's house and they have a conversation in her basement where she's working out which is left kind of unresolved in a way that basically when Holly Hunter actually does reach out which we find that she's never really done before, when she finally does kind of reach out for that not even looking for for support or anything like that, just kind of reaches out the olive branch. It is very viciously slapped back in her face. And that surprises me in this movie. It really surprises me in this movie, because everyone else gets a clean pass in this movie for regardless what shit they pull, what they say, what they do. And this is the one relationship that seems to be unresolved at the end of this movie and I, I understand it's it's probably more rooted in realism, that's what happens um, I've got two brothers that currently don't speak to each other at all won't speak to each other uh, unless it's a funeral and they're forced in the same room they won't speak to each other and I can, I can understand that I just feel so out of place in this movie because this movie ultimately at the end there's hope for everyone except this sister, and I find that unnecessarily mean. Every other character ends up on a high note in this movie except her. And I don't know why they're picking on that character, because if anything, she's the one that... she's Right, she's not happy being stuck in her marriage and all the rest with her kids and her ideal house and all the rest. She's, But it kind of feels unnecessarily mean for that relationship to end up that way. And that surprised me. The ending as well, what, what I expected to happen at the end of this movie is the lost in translation ending that basically, Dilla, Dylan and Holly have their opportunity together, but time passes them by, and at the end of this movie, neither one gets to be together, but they go off kind of with this idea of hope and all the rest. The fact that he ends up on the plane with her at the end kind of annoyed me.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that, although I don't necessarily agree with your, your former point about the Cynthia Nixon character, but I'll, I'll I'll get to that when we come to rebuttal, but I do agree that... I think the end is a little too convenient.
2: Yeah, it's, 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 it's just too... Like like I say, everyone... Everyone seems to walk away kind of happy at the end of this movie. And I understand it's a comedy. And no one wants to see... It would be the most depressing comedy if it was just someone had was forced to go home for the holidays. The dinner was a complete disaster and no one talked to each other at the end. Which is probably more realistic. But... Yeah, that kind of threw the ending kind of annoyed me, and and it gave me the opposite of what Tangerine gave me. So at the end of Tangerine, I feel all uplifted and smiling, and at the end of this movie, I felt well, isn't this a bag of cliche wrapped up in a bowl of fucking obviousness? Of course, it was going to end up this way. Of course, we're going to end up together, and they're probably getting married, and you know, I'd like all, all these things in my head, which. I I didn't want to. I'll tell you the one thing that I thought was really interesting that I didn't realise until you just mentioned it there is Jodie Foster directed this. This does not feel like a movie Jodie Foster would direct. I've seen some of her other stuff, and that surprises me. It really does surprise me. Um, Not in a way where I'm like, oh, it's a terrible movie, Jodie Foster. just surprises me that she has that string in her bow, and I didn't realise it was one of her early ones as well. Um... So I mean it's as well acted, it's well written, um and I liked a good seventy-five percent of it. There are there are things I would change. Um and that's me. Like I say, if you like Dimney Jr., you're gonna love this movie because he is the most Dimney Jr. Dimney Jr.'s ever been <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, I I agree with you that I think his character um is overbearing a lot of times, although I do like because of how overbearing he is, um, I do like the moment where he's on the phone with his husband. Yeah. yeah, and there there's this moment of quiet where you see him kind of settle down and um, you know has uh, a very tender moment there and he, and ask the question like, "How's my real family?"
2: Yeah, and but he says um, I think what, as well. I think the bit which really works for me is when everything is kind of. Like anarchy is in full, <laughs> full effect at the table, and oh, Downey Junior. Then starts to to go through the things that you realise that he did actually hear the phone message, and he's chosen to be away from his real what he quotes his real family and his 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 husband and all the rest. He's actually chosen to to spend time with his sister who's in a rut. Um, I like that aspect about it. If they just cast someone else,
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the, the things that not only uh made me recommend this movie to you, but but I, I find work real, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, your complaint about the Cynthia Nixon character and and how she's left because she is when Holly Hunter uh goes to her house later and they're in the basement while she's working out and You know, she's saying, like, well, can I get back to working out? This is the one thing I do that I actually enjoy, you know? Like, I have an aunt that is that character. Like, I know her so well. Um, And, you know, the harshness of her saying, uh, you know, if we ran into each other on the street and you gave me your number, I'd throw it away.
2: Yeah. See, that Um, to me seems, like, unnecessarily mean for a movie like this. Like, really, c- compared to everything else, there's nothing else in this movie that is as sharp and on the nose as that scene. And I kind of feel like that it could have happened in any other scene, and I probably would have forgiven it. But in that one particular scene, I was just like, she she does not live close to you and all the rest. And it, maybe, Like I say, it's probably the most realistic scene in the entire movie. It just kind of... It maybe shocked me a little, actually, because I didn't expect this movie to have it, and shocked me in a way which I didn't quite like. It's yeah. not to say it's a bad thing,
1: but... Sure, but I also think, I, I don't think that she's punished for that, because when when you get to the end of, of the movie, and, you know, again, spoilers, uh, it ends with kind of a montage of uh, these moments that the characters have with, with the people that they love. Yeah. And and that includes Cynthia Nixon and Steve Gutenberg and her family, you know, like shooting water guns inside their house. Like I I think I think what the movie does well is that it shows you like here is this family that you're kind of born with and here's the family that you create. Yes. And so we get to see her, like the the family that she's created. I don't think she's unhappy in that marriage or anything. Mm-hmm. I think I think she loves her husband. I think she loves her kids. And I, I just think she's one of those people that assumes responsibility for, for other people when she doesn't have to. Yeah. And, and again, I, you know, maybe my, my view of that is colored by the fact that I have a relative that is so much that character. It, it's painful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do, I do think the movie does a, a nice job of showing these, these kind of personality clashes between family members but also, I think, does a nice job of having uh, a lot of these very brief, sweet moments that show that they are still a family. Like, I, I really like when Charles Darnine, uh answers the phone and it's Robert Downey Jr.'s husband. And the family has just learned that they that he's gotten married. Yeah. Uh, and when he says, Jack, uh, who's Robert Downey Jr.'s husband, and when he says, uh, Jack, and I think I mean this. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a nice moment and and the movie is, is divided into essentially chapters. You know, like you'll get a title card that says like, you know, the flight home and 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 the you know the dinner and cleanup and all that stuff. And there's a lot of talk all through the movie, including in the clip uh, that we played here, where people talk about what what is the point of things. Yes. Yeah. And it gets to a chapter called The Point. And Robert uh not Robert a. Jr. Charles Durning, uh is watching home movies mm-hmm. in the basement and Holly Hunter comes down like the morning after Thanksgiving uh to to find him there. And he tells a story about uh when they when all the kids were little and he was still working at the airport, which is yeah. where he retired from. And uh the he, the point of the story ultimately is that life is made up of these little, little moments. You know, I, I think he says like this moment where, um, you know, he he was so proud of his daughter for not being afraid when this big seven twenty seven, um, took off. You know, as when the seven twenty seven was new, and she didn't hold on to anybody; she was fearless. And he was like, you know, that, that was 10, 15 seconds tops. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the moment that he, he savers, you know? Um, and also just from a writing point of view, I really love the fact that as he's telling this story and he's kind of wide eyed and clearly living in the memory for a moment when he says, and that 727 came rushing down the runway and took off like a whatever. Mm-hmm. and it, like he just doesn't have the, the analogy there <laughs> yeah. but it's like well that's not important you know the story is the important thing um and i yeah i i think that uh, all of these characters feel very real to me except strangely except for the leo fish character although he does have a great line about um trying to get coffee uh when he and holly hunter are are kind of out and about yeah and and the the, the kid behind the counter says they're closed and he says no, no, no. Look, I know you're young and you think that there are a million great women out there for you. So you don't know how much I need you to be open right now.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, You know, and I, and that's, I think what I like most about the movie and what made me want to recommend this to you is I think this movie is surprisingly honest about a lot of things that most movies are not. You know, when you see a movie mm-hmm. set around the holidays with a family, especially a comedy, it's you know, yeah, you you'll have like a wacky relative or something, like the Uncle Eddie character or something from uh vacation. But mm-hmm. it doesn't ever get to the heart of what makes these relationships both real and complicated and important. And I, I think that's what Home for the Holidays does really well is is to get to the actual truth of how these relationships happen and and the way that they live and like the relationship between uh Holly Hunter and, and Tommy Robbie Robert Downey Jr.'s character feels very real to me. Like they're you know they're this really tight unit that like you know in the scene uh we were talking about where he reveals like oh I've heard this message as they're talking about like you know Claudia's so-called glamorous life and she's like, you heard the message? And he just kind of gives her the nod. And mm-hmm. she stands up and just goes over and sits in his lap while they're eating food and lets him recount like all this horrible stuff that's going on with her. And they can laugh about it. And it's you know, like those relationships you have with family members where it's like you have this connection beyond just being brother and sister uh, or, or brothers or sisters or whatever that you genuinely like one another. Yeah. Um, and that isn't always the case, and I think this movie does a good job of, of showing that and also showing this sort of vulnerability and, and the infantilization that happens when you go home and are forced to stay in your childhood bedroom and things like that. And you kind of you know, like Holly Hunter's forced to wear this gross big coat that, you know, she probably <laughs> wore as a child or and 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 all that stuff, and, and you're just like you're trapped. In a situation that takes away all your power, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I I understand your criticisms, but uh, you're not going to dissuade me from liking this movie a whole lot. <laughs> although although I do I, I do agree, I, I think the ending of of uh, Leo Fish on the plane, I think it's kind of unnecessary. I kind of wish that it would end on that bittersweet note of yeah. you know yeah, this was a misconnection and and maybe I'll regret it, but. I I don't know. I felt like but that's the, what
2: life is, isn't it? That, yeah.
1: Uh, that's, that that to me kind of feels
2: like you, you make you make like you make this point about how realistic it is to all these encounters, and yet the movie feels the need to give you the Hollywood ending, which I. It's weird. <laughs> That's what I mean. It feels like realistic. It gives you the Hollywood ending, and like I say, for some reason, the bit where it gives you probably the most realistic thing is between the sisters. I don't, I don't understand. I almost wish it was reversed, you know, and gave me the Hollywood part with the sisters, and then gave me the realistic ending. Um, but like, like I say, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Like I genuinely, I'd, I'd like to go into movies. With, carrying as little pre kind of preconceived sort of malice towards things that I think I'm going to dislike. I try and clear all that when I sit down in a movie. And for the most part, I'd like I say, 75% of the movie really worked for me. And it helps when you have a cast like this who are just... Everyone's on their A-game. Everyone's yeah. performing above and beyond. And the script really allows them to... The, the bits where characters are recounting um, you know the past or being the deliverer of the message of why are we doing this why are we just going through the motions when you know like you know why do we have these holidays if if the bring family members together to be miserable if not for the fact that it brings family members together um I, I totally get all that and i think that totally works there's just a few things which like i say knock it down for me um and those are personal things those are not you know condemnations against the movie out with the ending which like i say I, probably was a condemnation of the, the, the actual script but casting choices and stuff like that, that's personal for me, that's not that's nothing to do with the movie itself, that's just I don't particularly like a, an actor in it playing the role that they're playing, so...
1: Yeah, yeah, but you, you are correct that Holly Hunter is absolutely fantastic in this movie She's, uh, she's
2: the, like, I genuinely like. see when I say that I, I'm, like I say, not the biggest fan of, of her at all this could be probably my favourite thing I've seen her in, and by quite a bit. I think she is... This, to me, is her movie. She's just, like, like the best thing by quite a bit in the movie. And it takes a lot, you know, like I say, I'm not the big fan of her at all. And she's amazing in it. I come away from it saying, you know, I really want to see her in more movies. Now, remember, <laughs> I have seen with her in them that I've not liked, so...
1: All right, well, <laughs> uh, I think that means that the uh, the time has now come to decide who has, in fact... Uh, come most correct, and it is once again uh, a difficult decision for me because they are so entirely different kinds of movies here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one is is sometimes to a fault uh, a very Hollywood. Uh, it, it like the thing about Home for the Holidays to me is that it it feels like a Hollywood movie that manages to slip in a lot of truth. Yeah. Uh, And then you have something like Tangerine that has no illusions about being a Hollywood movie and just relies entirely on the truth of its subject matter. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since I I heard that. Generally, the last couple of ones, you've been fairly sure which way you're going and not had to make the pained sigh, which is good yeah yeah. Uh, i mean because i am i'm in the bow position this week so i know what movie i think is the better movie yeah, so. and,
1: and is that tangerine
2: yeah i think tangerine just works for me on yeah. like on like every level i think it's it's every, like you've just you've summed up why i think it's that is the better movie is that it doesn't have
1: i did not mean to do that
2: yeah thanks thanks for verbalizing (laughs) it it's not hollywood movie at all and it to me delivers something that i i think genuinely makes it more interesting than it, it covers everything it's funny it's you know it's sad in places it's very touching in moments um It gets me right in the feels, Bo. At at times, I think it's incredibly well acted and it doesn't have Hollywood actors in it. Um, and, And that's before I even start going down to a technical aspect about how remarkable it is that a filmmaker could do this using something that isn't designed to make movies on. And obviously, the the the, the I'm not, that's not said has been put through a computer, and the computer has cleaned up everything. And there's been a lot of work done on that end, but you wouldn't get shooting it conventionally. But when I start going down the technical aspect at all, like I said, when when I read out the the synopsis and then I hear bits and bobs, it's a miracle that this movie should work at all. And then you watch it to realise that it works so well, kind of blows me away. So, um, and that is not a slam against the other movie. Um, if anything, I'm rooting for the underdog here. Tangerine is, I think it's an incredible movie. Um, and its I, But the thing is, it's not really your typical holiday movie at all. Whereas the other one is your typical holiday movie, but it brings you some home truths which you don't get in typical holiday movies. Which in itself is commendable. It's, it's trying to do something different and outside the norm. But Tangerine for me is just... Uh, and yeah, it's a it's a movie I feel like I want to talk to people about. Um if I didn't think that people would start walking away from me when I started mentioning transsexuals and Armenian taxi drivers and prostitutes with no penises, um <laughs> you know, that's when I'd lose them. But yeah, it's difficult for me it's difficult for me to root against Tangerine. I think it's I was fairly confident coming into this one. because um, I think it's a really fucking good movie, so Ugh.
1: Counter me Bo. I know you want to counter me. I know you don't necessarily I, fully agree with me, so I no, the, the problem <laughs> is is that I think I do agree with you. And I I, I just don't want to. <laughs> uh, because I think I think Home for the Holidays is is a great movie. I think I, I think people uh if you haven't seen this movie and you have a family, I think you should see this movie. Yeah, Uh, because it's like
2: someone has sat with your family when they were writing the
1: movie. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like like you said, the uh, uh, you know they're they're such like it works as a comedy because I think it is genuinely funny uh, for long stretches. Um, In particular, I really enjoy um, when Dylan Dylan McDermott sees Aunt Gladie home and and returns to the car with a lamp. Uh, that she has given him and he says, this is mine and you can't have it. You have one. Um, (laughs) like there, that all works. I, I think, uh, I think that home for the holidays is a, a genuinely honest movie. As I, as I've been saying about the nature of family and, and, and the good and bad of that. Mm -hmm. Um, that said, I I think that Tangerine is, I I think Tangerine is unique. Um, I don't. I, I think you're right. I, I don't think there's another movie I've seen like it. Um, certainly not this year or last. And you know, it kind of falls back to the, like, what would I rather watch again? Yeah. And and there's something comfortable about Home for the Holidays. Maybe because I've seen it so many times, but. You know, Tangerine is more challenging because it asks you to kind of open up yourself to, you know, a world that you don't know. You know, it's almost, in a, in a weird way, it's almost like a science fiction film because you're going to see things that are relatable, but it's all within the context of a culture that you don't quite understand. And it doesn't bend over backwards to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. It just lets you observe it and that and like you said there on a technical level it there are so many ways tangerine should have been a broken movie yeah and it never is it it is always kind of engaging and unusual and uh and and manages to be surprisingly heartwarming given the challenge of the subject matter being transsexual prostitutes <laughs> yeah. you know uh Chestnut. So yeah, that old story. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think I think Tangerine is the better movie. Um I, I think it is the winner of this episode, which puts you a point ahead in the oh. uh in the grand scheme of, of Duncan and Bo come correct season two. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, I would recommend both of these movies. Kind of. Uh,
2: yeah, I I, 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 totally think like, like I say, my problems with the movie are things that a lot of people are going to love about the movie. Like Demi Jr. is a beloved actor. I just have this irrational dislike. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why. But I don't know wh- why I dislike him.
1: Well, he is I, I think you hit it on the head when you said that he is very smug. Mm. You know, I think that is his character in this movie, but I would I would sort of argue that his character behaves the way he does because particularly in, you know, nineteen ninety five, uh being a gay character that had just recently married, you know, like his own family refers to him as a freak and, and so forth. Um although I do love that moment where uh, Charles Dern asked him like you didn't wear a dress, did you?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I also think as well he kinda it kinda amps things up to kinda take attention away from his sister. You know, yeah. like the parents are focusing on like quite a lot of attention, so he's almost there as the the interference. distractions. Yeah. Yeah, interference as well, which I think is like I said, like <laughs> I, it's just his face and his voice and the way he acts. <laughs> <What's> that! <laughs> What's that! Yeah, I, I would not, I would 100% agree. But once again, this is another show where both movies are easily recommendable. Well, I say, I still don't think Tangerine's a movie that I can easily recommend. Right. I I know the people yeah. I would recommend it too, but it's not one I would just casually drop off at the water cooler as, as one people should check out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it that's almost the caveat of like, do you like movies and do you like a movie that that's going to take you out of your comfort zone? You know, this isn't a, you know, Marvel's the Avengers or anything. It is going to be a movie that's going to require you to engage with it in a way that, that maybe you're not, that maybe is going to leave you a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but that being said, yeah, I think, I think I still think everyone should see Tangerine, even if they have a negative reaction to it. Um, I, I feel like it's a movie that it, it, it humanizes a group of, of people who are so frequently dehumanized in cinema mm-hmm. in a way that I think is kind of important um, yeah alright so <clears throat> you, you win you win it's I, it's not easy for me to come to terms with uh but you are you are now in the lead. Um Ooh, got, we've got an absolute cracker
2: coming up um for the next show.
1: Yeah, Cr- yeah. Next time around uh we're gonna get real and <laughs> I've got <laughs> I like what you did there. I like what you did. Yeah. There. Yeah. I've got uh, a recommendation for you that I think uh I think is is gonna surprise you. Oh it's it's not old people singing, is it? It is not old people singing. Uh, <laughs> it is in fact the. Uh, I will talk about this off the air. I don't. I don't want to reveal it. I don't want to spoil <laughs> it because I think when I recommend it to you, you're you're, you're the first thing you're going to think to yourself is God damn it. Okay. <laughs> um. But uh, we'll uh, we'll end the the show as we normally do with uh, a a quick. A glimpse at what we are looking forward to seeing uh, between now and uh, the next time we record in a fortnight. Uh, Duncan, what are you looking forward to seeing?
2: Oh, Bo, there's, uh, there's so much. <laughs> there is actually so much out there because this, the, this is the time of year where they release like all the movies that are Oscar contenders that have come out in America already and now all start to felt their way over in quick succession. The one I'm most looking forward to checking out is The Big Short.
1: Yeah, uh, I like that quite a bit. It's a good movie. Uh
2: yeah, great great cast. Um and the subject matter that I find like really interesting away from movies just in general. Um it's something that I, I've done a bit of reading into and things like that. So the fact is based around that. Another movie as well called Room which I think is about to get a release over here, which I've heard wonderful things about. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to checking that out as well. So those are the the two
1: that are on my radar. So what about yourself? Uh, the Revenant, finally. Um, we might uh, probably do that in the next day or two. Uh, sit down and watch the Revenant. Um, and uh, beyond that, I'm I I still I'm probably still going to watch that. Uh, God, what was the uh, ghost dimension? Oh, uh, yeah. Paranormal activity. I totally blinked on paranormal activity. (laughs) Like, those two words just flitted from my brain for a second. And so I was like, what the hell? is It's the ghost with the ghost dimension. Uh, Ghost dimension is still the dumbest name. It's Uh, a
2: stupid name, and it relates
1: not any way at all to the movie. Oh, that's disappointing because... At, at the very least, I was hoping that, like, well, yeah, it's a, it's a stupid name, but when you get into the movie, it describes what the ghost dimension is and what what the significance is, and makes the title better. No, it doesn't really. enough, Yeah, yeah, Ugh, that's that's real unfortunate.
2: <laughs> so I'm just like systematically destroying the, your your kind of weird optimism for this movie. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: rightly so, because I shouldn't have any any fingers crossed for this to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I probably will watch it in, in 3D, which I've heard is is kind of the way to see it. Yeah, um, I
2: didn't watch it in 3D, so a lot of the visual effects that we aiming for didn't, didn't work
1: for me. So, um, And then I'm going to continue to watch uh, some more episodes of the X-Files in preparation, ladies and, and jelly spoons, for um, the uh, Duncan and Bo come X-Files episodes, which are going to uh, be hitting your ear holes... Following the premiere on the twenty fourth of January, two yeah, two days today. Yeah, it, 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 that kind of crept up on me, but I'm, I, that's got me real excited because I was really uh, I've been a bit uh, awash lately in uh, in or a bit at sea is probably a better way to put it because <laughs> I haven't I you know after wrapping up a, a, a couple of uh, shows that I'd almost finished and hadn't like I finished watching Hannibal finally and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's worth it, which was great. I can't. Yeah, it's fucking it. yeah. <laughs> I, I, whole, I just I, I want them to get another season, so I, I so I can see their take on Silence of the Lambs.
2: Well, that's that's the most recent rumor. The most recent rumor is that when he's finished doing his Neil Gaiman um, project, which he's going to be working on for the next year, he's going back to the networks to pitch Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, how could you not? It's. Oh, that's the potential to be the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So, And as long as they can get all the same cast back involved from the TV show, then how can you not be excited for that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I actually just watched uh, yesterday, uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've been listening to the audiobook of Silence of the Lambs as I was going to bed. Oh, and yeah. It's really, it's a really good audiobook as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I went, after wrapping that up, I went back and watched, you know, of course, the Jonathan Demi film. Mm-hmm. And it had been several years probably since I'd, I'd sat down to watch Silence of the Lambs. And, you know, just what a reminder of what a masterwork of oh, cinema gotcha. that is. It, it is like if you have never seen and or have not seen in some time, uh, Demi Silence of the Lambs and and want to remind yourself of what good horror filmmaking looks like. Yeah, that's um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like, "Well, it's a thriller, bullshit." That is no, a movie. It's a horror movie yeah. by its
2: very nature. It's a horror movie. It has serial killers that eat people and others that skin people and wear their skin. That is horror. That is not thriller. That is horror. Yeah, uh, and the the it earned every fucking Oscar that I got, which was quite a few. So and yeah. Jodie Foster. There you go. There's Steve a white Jodie
1: Foster. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like four years prior to directing Home for the Holidays, she was Clary Starling. Yeah, and uh, my favorite
2: story that came out of that production is the the first time she was on set with with Anthony Hopkins, and uh, he did his big, you know, his big spiel of "You come in here with your cheap shoes, and you know, you get like that." And when he finished speaking to
1: her, she actually burst into tears. <laughs> I can see. Yeah, it's it, he is kind of like brutal. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is brutal, but there's also something like the reason I will never trust Anthony Hopkins completely is that <laughs> he is too good in that role yeah. for there not to be a lot of darkness under the surface. I mean, yeah. he is it, the the way that he conveys it, the like the relishing that he does of being able to break somebody down. Yeah, in front of him, like, to be very polite and, and erudite and all that stuff, and then just turn vicious on a, on a dime. Uh, he does
2: whole segments of dialogue without blinking, and that nerves me. Like, there's whole sections where he's talking to her with those intense eyes, and he doesn't blink once. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, why is he not blinking? And that's not normal. And now yeah. I'm, he's like, it's like he's
1: staring into your soul. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right, we'll shut up about this in a second, but I his delivery of uh, you know when he's at when she first shows up at the uh, mental institution in Baltimore, and he asks her you know well what did Miggs say in the next cell and uh, mm-hmm. she just oh he said I can I can smell your cunt doctor <laughs> uh, it's that was his, actually really good yeah that it's was really good. It's dead on <laughs> but his delivery of I myself cannot yes, it's just I'm like, like- uh, <laughs> It's oh. cre- creepy. I love,
2: I love, a- I love um, <laughs> did you breastfeed her, ma'am? <laughs> Toughens your nipples, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when, he- when he's walking away, he
1: goes, uh, Senator, love this suit. <laughs> <laughs> say amputees it's, can still fill their arm once it's been amputated.
0: Yeah, oh, Tell oh, me, Mom,
1: what will, what will tingle when your daughter's on the slab?
2: It's oh, it's so, oh, so good. So <laughs> fucking good.
1: <laughs> Alright, well, uh, come back uh, in a fortnight for a decade uh, come silence of the land. we <laughs> <laughs> just quote that movie endlessly to one another. Uh, um. But uh, <laughs> before we get out of here, Duncan, uh, what, what you got coming up? And
2: uh, well, podcast under the stairs has. Uh, we're kicked into the new year now, so um, I just launched um, my like end of year top twenty uh, horror. Mo- no, in fact, did I do a top? I did do a top twenty horror movies on you that did. show. Yeah, I did indeed. Yeah, rattled down through my top twenty horror movies of the. Year um coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks, some really fun shows. I've just recorded one that'll drop probably just before this one comes out, uh with Andy Blockley. And we uh we looked at a little movie called I Madman. And we linked that up with another little movie called In the Mouth of Madness, and uh, both movies being about works of fiction that might actually be real. And, yeah, if anything that has reminded me, or in fact, not even reminded me, just kind of solidified that I think In the Mouth of Madness is top-tier Carpenter for me. I actually think it might be it's definitely in my top five I'm I'm not going to put out the scenario that it might be the next time I watch it in my top three, I think that movie there's something about it with age that I gravitate more to, I I don't know what it is, I think it's a fucking phenomenal movie Um, and one that I'm surprised people don't mention enough I think it is that curse of well the same year it came out, fucking Silence of the Lambs came out, so there you go (laughs) um, But yeah, it's 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 an excellent, excellent movie So that's coming out And then the following week I'm joined by the Baz um, Where I'm going to put him through hell Uh, He's going to watch The Woman Fucking great movie by Lucky And I'm doubling it up with uh, a little movie we discussed on here in this season uh, Cavalier Um,
1: (laughs) Wow that is a whole boatload of crazy.
2: Yeah, so the, the point the point being that we will see a movie where a woman is abducted and tortured and then we will see a movie where a guy is abducted and tortured. So And yeah. pigs are called dogs. Yes, pigs are called dogs. And that's just the beginning. I, I, I guarantee that it'll be the most entertaining conversation you've ever heard the Baz on. <laughs> as he tries to verbalise his feelings towards that movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's it, He's no idea.
2: He's no yeah. idea. I, he knows nothing about it as well. I've deliberately kept it vague. I just told him that a guy gets abducted. He knows nothing else about the movie. And that's the way it should be.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Um, and also, uh, just to let everyone know: um, doing the nasty is now finished. But you can listen to the entire archive of the shows over at Horophilia. So that's now finished. All seventy-two movies are up there. The reviews of of the movies are there. And it's a bit time I can I can actually really start plugging this. Um, in a couple of weeks' time, I'll be dropping episode one of season one of my new podcast, Chronicle which is going to be really short, like 30-minute episodes, kind of high production value. And Chronicle exclusively looks at European horror cinema. And there's going to be obvious ones in there, but there's going to be some that you have either never heard about before or never seen. And not only will I be talking about the movie, but the stories behind the movies, which in a lot of cases... These are more interesting than the movies. Um, so season one, I can get more information out now. Season one is looking at vampires and horror cinema and exclusively on this show and only... If you're on this show, I can release the movie list. I'm not going to mention it anywhere else on any other show. So this is an exclusive. So we'll know how many people listen to this show, Bo. Yes. Um, so episode number one, we'll look at a little movie called Nosferatu. Um, episode number two, we'll look at Vampire, uh, the 1930s movie uh, from, I believe All right, So
1: is Nosferatu Murnau or Herzog? It's is Okay. Although I wanted to do Herzog,
2: uh, just because Klinsky, obviously. Sure, sure. But I, I'm doing the original one because the story behind that, the, the whole legal proceeding, and the fact that that movie, that movie shouldn't exist. All the copies of that movie were ordered to be destroyed by the court, and one was smuggled to America. And every print of that movie since is from that one print. So. Oh, quite, an, right. quite an interesting story um, then after Vampire we'll be looking at a little movie called <clears throat> Black Sunday um, Barbara Steele she's so dreamy yep. uh, and then I'm looking at the Jess Franco Count um, Dracula movie then I'm doing a little unknown movie uh, called The Reflecting Skin which I fucking love that. Well, I don't think I've ever seen that you've never seen The Reflecting Skin?
1: I've never seen The Reflecting Skin
2: that could very well be a future uh, Duncan and Bull come correct. I've got a feeling you're going to fucking love that movie. <laughs> it, it didn't it, it go universally panned. I think it's an incredible movie. And then finishing up with um, a little movie called Let the Right One In. So I'm covering uh, Germany, Denmark, Italy, Spain, the UK and Sweden in uh, those six episodes. And they'll be coming out um, once every two weeks.
1: So keep your eyes peeled for that chronicle coming soon. Excellent! Wow, I'm 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 more excited than I've been maybe ever. <laughs> I really want, I want to hear those shows. Those, those sound amazing. Because uh, I didn't know. I honestly I just learned this very second that all the prints of Nosferatu came from a smuggled print. I did not know
2: yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, so, and um, basically the the. They wanted to make the movie, and they approached the Stoker family, who wouldn't give them the rights to use it in a movie, um, so they made the movie anyway. But in the original prints of the movie, they still called him Count Dracula instead of Count Orlock. So that changed afterwards to obviously circumnavigate it, but because it wasn't in the public domain the book... Dracula wasn't in the public domain in Germany, um, They filed uh, Stoker's Widow filed a legal suit against them, and the judge ordered that every print of that movie should be destroyed, and they smuggled one print of it out to America, where the licensing laws in that time were different, so it didn't breach any sort of plagiarism or copyright or anything by smuggling it to America, and every print of the movie since then has come from that. It was only one print that survived. Had the court got its way, you would never have seen that movie. It wouldn't exist.
1: Wow. Wow. So, very right. interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, so you don't have to listen to the first episode now because you know the whole oh, cool thing. Oh, you need to oh, wait. To There's story, more. But-
2: yeah, there's the, the director himself is a, a fascinating story. He died very young. Um, so, yeah, there's, well, I'm going to cover quite a lot of stuff. Each episode, like I say, about 30 minutes, I'm going to be talking about what how I feel about the movie or what I think the movie's trying to convey. But there's whole minds to go down about the actors, actresses, and the people that directed it. And, uh, like I say, hopefully, hopefully people dig it and I'm I'm not going to be obviously all the movies in season one I actually quite like but in future seasons I'm going to be looking at movies whether they're good or bad just as a a way to highlight the diversity of European horror cinema, which doesn't, like, like people talk about it, though, but they, it's like, oh, yeah, all these movies from Italy in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and all these movies from France in the 2000s, or those movies from Spain, from, like, the late 2000s, you know, they, they focus on things instead of looking at the big picture, and there is a wealth, I mean, horror cinema started in Europe, so. The first, the first horror movie ever can be well, considered a horror movie It's from like 1890, and it was a French silent movie, and it has everything in it: vampires, witches, bats, fucking
1: midgets. <laughs> so, Excellent. <laughs> everything
2: Excellent. that would terrify you, Bo. Everything that would terrify. You. What about yourself? What you got coming up?
1: Uh, I am also doing a show uh, about uh, European horror cinema uh, <laughs> that is going to be called Bose Chronicle. <laughs> Son of a bitch, of a bitch. <laughs> and I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just gonna verbatim uh, recite what you have done. It just because, a- re- <laughs> yeah, it will be released the day after your episode drops. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I've got uh, uh, obviously the show Talking of Boca, correct, which you were listening to uh, even now, and uh, then uh, the Shotcast, which is the video game arm of. Uh, Legion Podcasts, uh, oh. in which we recently did our top ten list for best video games of the year. Uh, spoilers, they were all played on computers or consoles. Um, and then I am... Uh, we're still kind of in the early goings, but I think we can give it name now, uh, of uh, For the Love of Lovecraft, which will be uh, similar to Chronicle, actually, in that uh, it is... Diving into the works of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, uh, both in literature and film, and discussing the relative significance of uh, those works. Um, it will be, eh, you know, it, it, like there's still a lot of reading and research to happen mm-hmm. uh, before that is uh, finally released. I don't have a date or anything yet, but I've been uh, mired deep into uh, a pretty Uh, fascinating biography of of Lovecraft. So, much like Chronicle, I feel like uh, you will come away from those episodes feeling like uh, you're a little bit more of a smarty pants um, Mm -hmm. than you were going into it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm basically, like, I'm looking forward to hearing Chronicle just to hear what that sounds like, Uh, not to ape it, but just... (laughs) Uh, because I think that I, you know, that's sort of where that show is headed as well, as far as the production value and trying to, trying to make it not just a dry exploration of, of literature, but, uh, something that feels like alive and relevant in the way that Lovecraft, uh, kind of does to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, legionpodcast.com. Uh, you can catch both of us on various shows over there. Uh, and look us up on iTunes and uh, leave us a rating and uh, just be a generally good guy. And also if you go to uh, Facebook.com forward slash Legion podcasts, uh, you can like the page and drop us a message and uh, let us know what you think of the shows and uh, Twitter at Legion podcasts. uh, You can find us there as well. So um, I think that is going to do it for this time. We'll be back in uh, a couple of weeks, AKA a fortnight <laughs> uh, to discuss uh, another pair of films and and hopefully I'm gonna tie this one up but uh, in the meantime everyone uh, have yourselves a merry little fortnight Duncan say goodbye to everybody bye everyone see you next time